you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. If you're not sure where Ephesians is, it's in the back part of your Bible, probably, oh, the back eighth of your Bible. Um, You can see the book of Ephesians and we'll be in chapter 5. And as you turn uh, with me to Ephesians 5, let me give you a picture to hold in your mind. Uh, Imagine that you are down at Riverfront Park here in, in Louisville, and it's a couple of weeks before the first Saturday in May, and you're getting ready to enjoy the fireworks display that we all in this area know as Thunder Over Louisville. And as the sky gets darker and and darker, you notice a bright light starting to move through the crowd. Uh, and as you focus in on it, you realize that it's it's one of those vendors that shows up at events like this. It's the guy with all the glow sticks and the light up swords and you know all anything that is just a little bit cooler with with lights on it. Um, and in the midst of the, the darkness, this man and his cart sort of stand out very brightly. And as people come up to him, they, they walk away with a little bit of that light themselves. It becomes easy to spot the people who have paid a visit to this man's cart because they wander back to their blanket or to their chair, and they too are shining a little bit in the darkness. Our passage last week focused primarily on how we as followers of Jesus are to live within the community of God's people, how we as brothers and sisters in Christ are to relate to one another in love. But here in Ephesians 5, 3 to 14, we're moving into instruction on how we are to live in the world and relate to those who walk in a way that is very different from us. To use Paul's metaphor, we are, we are being shown how we are to walk in the darkness of this present age. And we might think that, that walk in love, our command from last week, would also be our command this week. But Paul, in fact, moves from talking about love to talking about light. He says to we who are followers of Jesus, he gives us a, another walk command. And this is his command, and this is our big idea for today walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. In this world that is marred by the darkness of sin, that's filled with those who still live in darkness, we who have come to see the light of the gospel are to walk as children of light. As we look at this passage, we will see that this command to walk as children of light is is not a command as we might expect to have nothing to do with the world or to avoid all interactions with people outside of the church. Remember, the gospel does not call us into isolationism. It doesn't call us into some sort of bunker mentality whereby we fear how walking about in society might harm us. Rather, the gospel calls us to shine like lights in the midst of the darkness to shine like that vendor down at the riverfront, inviting others to know the light of Jesus themselves. And yet, and yet there's also a separation that's, that's a part of this. There's a separation from sin and from darkness that the follower of Jesus is to take seriously. In fact, as we will see, it, it may even be that our separation from the deeds associated with dark, the darkness of sin is, is part of, of what allows us 
to shine as lights. Our separateness lets us shine. Walking as children of light means that there is a a separateness about us, a different way of walking that reveals we are children of Jesus, who is the light of the world. Well, here in these verses, we find, in fact, that one of the key ways that we as followers of Jesus shine as children of light is how we act and how we speak in relation to human sexuality. Now, with that sentence, I've made some of you uncomfortable, and I've also woken some of you up. Uh, if If we pause, though, and we think about it, it makes perfect sense that Paul is going to address the topic of human sexuality, not only because it's a major part of who God has made us to be, but also because of how focused our culture is on sex. Unless we think that it's just us here in the 21st century who need to think about this topic from a Christian perspective. Remember, Paul is writing to the church where? The church in Ephesus, the home of the temple to Artemis, who was, among other things, the goddess of chastity and childbirth. Not not only that, but throughout the scriptures, we find clear teaching on God's design for sex, as well as instructions about the many perversions of this God-given Gift. So, in one sense, to not talk about this topic would not only be foolish, it would be unbiblical. Now, there will, of course, be other applications of what it means to walk as children of light, but human sexuality is a large focus of Paul's instruction here. And so, I want us to read what he has to say to us in Ephesians 5, 3 to 14, and then we're going to consider a little bit how we are to walk as children of light. So, look with me at Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Walk as children of light. We'll consider this passage in two parts, the first being in verses 1 through 8, with sort of verse 8 being a bridge of sorts, uh, and then we'll look at verses 9 through 14. But let's summarize these first eight verses, or I'm sorry, uh, verses 3 through 8. So let's summarize verses 3 through 8 like this. Walk as children of light by being separate from every perversion of the gift of human sexuality. 
Walk as children of light. How are we to walk as children of light? By being separate. Separate from what? Separate from every perversion of the gift of human sexuality. As we said, walking as children of light in, in a dark world involves separation. I want, us to give us, I want us to have three questions then to help us think about this first point, walk as children of light by being separate from every perversion of the gift of human sexuality. And so I want us to first ask, what are we to be separate from? What exactly are we to be separate from? Yes, this idea of perversions and distortions of the good gift of sex, but, but if we don't know exactly what that means, we find here six terms that help us figure it out. First, Paul says that we are to be separate from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. This is a, a broad term. It encompasses adultery. It encompasses prostitution it, and any other kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage relationship. In fact, it's the Greek word porneia, where we get our word pornography from. The next term is actually even more broad than sexual immorality. It says we are to be separated from impurity. Impurity, which speaks to any kind of filth or perversion of the gift of sex. Taken together then, these, these first two terms cover every distortion of human sexuality, including homosexuality, polygamy, as well as pornography, and any other expression of sexual desire outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Those two terms make sense, but then surprisingly, Paul adds a third term, which is covetousness. It seems out of place at first, doesn't it? Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. But as we reflect, we can see that sexual sin almost always involves desiring something that is not ours or something that God has forbidden. It involves often taking advantage of another person for our own satisfaction. We may even be reminded of the 10th commandment, which calls us not to covet our neighbor's wife. So there is a, a covetousness involved when someone consumes suggestive or explicit images on a phone or on a computer screen, or when they satisfy their lust with no thought for how they might be harming others or dishonoring God. There's a rabid covetousness that's at the heart even of the most violent and the most heinous acts that are motivated by lust. In verse 5, Paul associates covetousness with idolatry. This might be 3B as far as your terms go. Covetousness, which is idolatry, he says. Idolatry involves giving ourselves in worship to something other than God in the hopes that it will satisfy our desires. And so too, these perversions involve us giving our very selves over to our desires, hoping that we will be satisfied, believing the lie that Adam and Eve believed, namely that God was withholding something good from them, when in actuality, his law was meant to preserve them and to bless them. Well, from this first triad of terms, Paul goes to a second group of three in verse four, and these seem to be uniquely focused on how we speak about sex. The first thing we are to be separate from is filthiness or obscene language. Paul tells us that there are ways to speak about intimacy that are crass. 
that take this gift given to express marital union and love and turn it into something vulgar or tasteless. If you've heard much of it, there's a lot of popular music that is filled with this kind of filthiness, taking a a beautiful gift from God and turning it into something that is, in fact, offensive. Not to mention the ways that we hear intimacy spoke of or, or displayed on television or in movies. Filthiness. Then there's two more terms, foolish talk and crude joking. Foolish talk and crude joking. I I think these probably go hand in hand. And, And while they could refer to many other kinds of talk, they seem to be focused on the kind of language and the the kind of jokes that that make light of sex or or that sexualize others in vulgar ways. We've heard this kind of talk excused as locker locker room talk. People will say that's just boys being boys. But jokes about people created in God's image or words used to tear down others or demean them have no place in the Christian's mouth, Paul says. In fact, it goes even deeper because if filthiness and crude language comes out of our mouths, Jesus tells us that we need to look at our hearts. Why? Because it's out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouth speaks these kinds of things. So with this, these six terms, Paul draws a clear line in the sand and he says that the follower of Jesus should not only not participate in these things, but what does he say? He says they should not even be named among the church of Jesus Christ. In other words, if someone wanted to accuse us of these things, there shouldn't be a shred of evidence to hold against us. Children of light don't allow the darkness of these things to dim them. It's, it's therefore not only the elders who are called to be above reproach in 1 Timothy, but everyone who names the name of Christ is to strive to live a life that is pure. We're to be like Daniel in the Old Testament. When his enemies sought to find evidence of sin in him, what did they say? They said in Daniel 6, 4, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. What a testimony. There was not a hint of sin in him. How separate are we from these things? Are you caught in sexual sin? Are you allowing perversions of God's good gift to come into your mind or into your eyes? Is there idolatry or covetousness in your heart? Even within marriage, there can be a spirit of covetousness related to intimacy, a desire to gratify your desires with little or no thought for the desires of your spouse. How about your speech? Do you share crude jokes? Do you make inappropriate comments? Do you go along with the people who do? The follower of Jesus is to have nothing to do with these things. As we ask these questions, we also ask a a second question. You remember our our first question was, what are we to be separate from? The next question I I, I want to ask is, why should we be separate from these things? Why should we be separate from these things? And, And in asking this question, we're reminding ourselves that Walking as children of light is, is the fruit of having been changed by Jesus. 
to, to walk as children of light is to become who we are in Christ. People walk in darkness because they've not come to know the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. But if we have been changed by Jesus, by repentance and faith, then we desire to and we are enabled to walk in his ways. So why should we be separate from the darkness? I'll give you two reasons that I think Paul says here. One, because we are saints. We are saints. That is who we are. Saints are those set apart to holiness, called to be holy as God is holy. Like priests in the Old Testament, we are to be separate from the word, from the world. So Paul says things like, you notice this here, and he says these things are, are out of place among God's people. These things are, are not proper among God's saints. In other words, this is not who you are. And to do them doesn't fit with who God has made you to be. Verses 7 and 8 also reveal what it means that we are saints. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now what are you? You are light in the Lord. We are not to be partakers with those who walk in the darkness of sexual perversion because while we had been in that darkness, now we have a brand new identity. We're children of light. In fact, verse five tells us that if sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness and idolatry are a part of our lives, then it's evidence that we have no inheritance in God's kingdom. Did you hear how strong Paul's words were there in verse five? For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Why is he so strong on this? I think it's because the, the gospel we know is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but the grace that saves is never alone. And part of God's power working us in us involves a rooting out of the darkness of sexual perversion. So if there's no desire in us to move away from these things and there's no progress in our striving towards holiness, then we need to examine ourselves closely because Paul's words are sharp. Tied to this, we see that we're separated from these things not only because we are saints, but because God is the judge. Why are we to be separate from these things? Because God is the judge. Verse 6 warns us that there are people who are going to try to deceive us into thinking that these perversions are no big deal. Crude jokes, no big deal. Sexual immorality, no big deal. They tell us to... That, that in fact, they say the opposite is true. To, desire, to deny my desires, that's the real sin. They claim that there's a better way than God's way. But here's the reality. They are not the judge of this world. God is. And he alone has decided what is right and what is wrong. And Paul is clear that God's wrath comes on those who reject his ways. So we see that we are to put off every perversion of God's good gift of human sexuality. Why? Because we are saints and because God is the judge. But we've seen this pattern with Paul 
that there's things to put off, but there's also things to put on. So is there something to put on in these verses? In fact, there is. Look at verse 4. It says, we're supposed to put off foolish talk and crude joking and filthiness. They're out of place, but instead, let there be what? Thanksgiving. So instead of impurity, what should we be filled with instead? That's our third question. What, what should we be filled with instead? And the answer is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for God. Thanksgiving for all of God's good gifts, including physical intimacy within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. John Stott says it well. The, listen to, the, to this quote from him. The reason why Christians should dislike and avoid vulgarity is not because we have a warped view of sex and are either ashamed or afraid of it, but because we have a high and holy view of it as being in its right place God's good gift and which we do not want to see cheapened. All God's gifts, including sex, are subjects for thanksgiving rather than for joking. To joke about them is bound to degrade them. To thank God for them is the way to preserve their worth as the blessings of a loving creator. Have you ever thought about thanksgiving as a way to fight sexual temptation? If at their core, these wrong ways of thinking and acting about human sexuality involve covetousness, then this weapon of thanksgiving actually makes a lot of sense. Consider how sexual temptation says to you and I, it says, God is withholding something from you. Or it says, there's something better than what God has given you. Isn't that at the heart of things like adultery or, or homosexuality or, or pornography? It's, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil telling us, don't be content. Go for something else, something outside of God's plan. But if we, if we pause in the midst of temptation and we fill our minds and our hearts with thanksgiving, then what happens? We start to see all the goodness of what we've been giving, and we stop desiring the things that God has rightly and lovingly withheld from us. I would invite you to give it a try, to fight temptation, any temptation, but sexual temptation in particular, in particular with the unlikely weapon of thanksgiving of speaking out loud or writing down or just thinking in your mind about all that God has blessed us with so that the desire for something else, something that he has lovingly withheld from us, so that begins to fade in the light of all that he's given us. I wonder if that's what Joseph was, was doing in part when Potiphar's wife tempted him. And what does he say? He says, my master has given me everything. The only thing he's withheld is you. Why would I besmirch his generosity and his kindness? Joseph understood all that he had, and so he didn't need to have something that was withheld rightly from him. If we put all this together, I think what emerges is a proper understanding of Christian sexuality. Often Christians are said to be prudes who hate sex. <laughs> but in actuality, the follower of Jesus who understands God's good design for human sexuality and seeks to enjoy it within its God-given boundaries, knows the joy of this gift more than everyone who chases after their lusts and ignores the commands of God. 
regarding how we are to use our bodies and our minds. The lie that the world tells us is that we are missing something by not allowing our sexual appetites to go wherever they desire. But the truth is that when we follow God's design for his gifts, we are on the path to true joy. Think about it like this. A train on train tracks is good. It, it's, it's profitable. It even is joy-giving. Do you know what a train off the train tracks is? It's a train wreck. And we can't believe this lie that we're being told that a train wreck caused by going off the good rails of God's law, that that's a good thing. That's what sexual perversion is. It's a train wreck. Don't let people tell you that it's good. What's good is when the train and the good gift of what God has given us stays on its rails. That's where blessing is found. God's not trying to withhold anything from us. He's trying to bless us. So walk as children of light, how? By being separate from every perversion of the gift of human sexuality. From this specific focus on how we as God's uh, people are to walk in the light regarding our sexuality, we move to more gen a general point, verses nine through 14, and, and that's this. Walk as children of light so that we might expose and transform the darkness. This is more purpose. Why do we walk as children of light? Not how. Walk as children of light. Why? So that we might expose and transform the darkness. When you are in your house and it's dark and you turn on a light switch, you have an effect on the darkness, right? Think about it. You expose the darkness and you transform it. You transform darkness into light. And so too, there are effects that walking in the light has on the world. It exposes the darkness and it transforms it into light. But before we look at these two ideas, we have to notice that there's actually a little bit more description about what it means to walk as children of light. So we've seen this command to, that to walk as children of light is to be separate from every perversion of the gift of human sexuality. But then rapid fire, we get more commands and these are, are more broad in their scope. So we see in verse nine, that we are to walk as children of light by seeking out all that is right, good, and true. How do we walk as children of light? By seeking out all that is right, that is good, and that is true. Uh, these are points that are just right in the text here, so I apologize that they're a little long, but <laughs> walk as children of light by seeking out all that is right, good, and true. Paul mixes his metaphors, it seems like, uh, and he says that there should be fruit that comes from the light. Or, or maybe he's actually not mixing metaphors. Maybe it's the idea that light is necessary for fruit. And, and we as God's people, God's plants, if you will, uh, as we are exposed to the light of Christ, we bear fruit that looks like Jesus. We're marked as people who produce fruit in our lives that is right, that is good, and that is true. And then related to this, we find uh, that we are to walk as children of light by trying to discern what pleases the Lord. How do we walk as children of light? By trying to discern what pleases the Lord. I think with both of these, it's interesting that there's effort. Seek out what's right and good and true. Try to discern what pleases the Lord. I love my wife. And because I love my, my wife, I want to do things that please her. I want to be a student of her 
so that I wouldn't do things that displease her, but I would actually find out and discern what makes her happy. And the child of God loves the Lord. We love our Father in heaven. And therefore, we don't want to do things that displease him. That makes sense, doesn't it? Rather, we want to discern what pleases God and then do those things. And so this is why we read the scriptures and gather together and study them, so that we might be able to discern what pleases God. We discover these things that are right and good and true, and by God's grace through his spirit, those are the things that we want to walk in. This isn't moralism. This isn't the way to earn God's love. No, it's an expression of who we are as children of light. It's an overflow of the love that we have for God. I love my heavenly father. I want to do what pleases him. That's how I walk as a child of light. And then there's one more command about how we walk as children of light. And if these two commands that we've just mentioned are put on statements, then this is the put off statement. It's in verse 11. It says that we are to walk as children of light by not taking part in the unfruitful works of darkness. How do we walk as children of light? We don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. This is almost a the broader point of which our first point about human sexuality would be maybe a sub-point. Uh, it's simply reminding us that if we're children of light, we don't walk in darkness. We don't participate in the darkness. We don't bear the fruit of darkness. That's, that's not who we are. And Paul says that if we are light in these ways, in this world, if we shine, and by shining, we expose the darkness and we transform it. Now, I'm not saying in this that we don't need to proclaim the hope of the gospel found in Jesus. Of course we do. But the focus here, in fact, seems to be on living such uniquely distinctive, light-filled lives that we make those in the darkness uncomfortable. And we make them so uncomfortable that, in fact, they're transformed by the power of the gospel evidenced in our transformed lives. We live lives that turn light switches on all over the world, exposing and transforming the darkness. Let's think about these two words. The first word, expose. That's what, when we walk as children of light, we expose the darkness. Our world often feels like the emperor in the story, the emperor's new clothes. If I had time, I'd read it to you, but you can find it, I'm sure. That's by Hans Christian Andersen. And in that story, long story short, the emperor walks through town after being deceived, thinking that he's clothed in beautiful garments, but in fact, he's exposed and naked. And the only person that gets it is a child who points it out because everyone else denies the reality of it. I think as followers of Jesus, in some ways as we walk as children of light, we're called to be like the child in that story. We're called to expose that the world is walking in disgraceful practices and sins that are too shameful to even speak about, Paul says. It's not even, we can't even talk about it. And the main way we do that is actually by walking, by walking as children of light, by holding before the world the beauty of a life lived in surrender to God and to his good ways. I think John 3 gets at this. John 3, 19 through 21 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. 
Because everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why don't they come to the light? Lest his works should be exposed. People don't want to come to the light because it exposes their darkness, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When we walk in the light, we expose the darkness for what it is. And if I could just say then, how ugly it is then when it's the world that is so often exposing the darkness in the church. How opposite that is of what it's supposed to be. How shameful it is when the leaders of churches and of missions organizations and Christian ministries are exposed as the ones that are harming children, are exposed as the ones that are participating in shameful acts. God forbid that that be true of us. Let it not be true of us as individuals or us as a church. Instead, let's be lights that expose the darkness around us and there's no hint of darkness in us. But not only do we expose it, we also transform the darkness. And this is the miracle. By living lives of light, by walking as children of light, we can transform the darkness. I think this is the point of verses 13 and 14. When it says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. I think it's the idea that when the follower of Jesus walking in light as a child of God exposes the darkness, there are also times when that exposure transforms the darkness. It changes it. That the light of the gospel is able then to take root in the hearts of those who see us walking as children of light. Our lives help them to see the lie of sin such that they in fact turn from it and find life in the person of Jesus Christ so that they too can walk as a child of light. They're like those in that opening illustration who walk up to the glow stick vendor and then they walk away changed by Jesus, the light of the world having light in themselves. And Jesus, get this, Jesus uses our lives lived with light as a catalyst to see other people transformed. I think Jesus says it perfectly, not surprisingly, in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and be transformed. And be transformed so that they give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's a final word for us in verse 14. Verse 14 is either a very loose translation of Isaiah 61, (laughs) or it's an Easter hymn from the early church. It says there, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Very simply, I think what Paul is doing is is, is he's reminding us who we are. And he tells us three things about us. If you are in Christ, this is what he says. You are no longer asleep. (laughs) You are no longer asleep. Second, you are no longer dead. And third, you are no longer in the dark. This is who you are. You are no longer asleep. You are no longer dead. You are no longer in the dark. And we are therefore to walk as people 
who are fully awake to God's grace. We are to walk as people who are fully alive through the resurrection power of Jesus. And we are to walk as those who are filled with light because we've been transformed by Jesus, the light of the world. So brothers and sisters, walk in love towards one another, but also walk as children of light in this dark world. Let's take a moment of silence and allow God's spirit to apply God's word to our hearts. And then I will close this in prayer. But let's take a moment of silence now. Father, we thank you that in Christ, through faith in him, repentance from our sins, and trusting in what he's done on the cross, you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, we were trapped in the darkness of sin. We were deceived. We were practicing shameful acts. We didn't even know what we were doing. But by your grace, you have exposed our darkness and you have transformed us to be your people. So would you help us now to walk as children of light, to be those that, that seek to please you in all that we do, that try to find the things that are right and good and true, that put off the deeds of darkness, that put off the sexual perversion of our, of our age, Lord, and that instead we would be children of light, walking in your light, fully awake to your grace, fully alive through your power, transformed by Jesus. Lord, we can't do any of this on our own, but by your power, through your spirit, we can walk as children of light. Would you help us to do it? I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.